Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Hey, if you're uh, visiting with us this morning, uh, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, we typically, as a church, preach through books of the Bible. Uh, we've been in uh, the Gospel of Luke for quite a while, but during the su- summers, we typically take a break. And so we're in a summer series called Summer Vacation, and we've been going to, we're currently in the mountains. We started off with a road, some road trips, and now we're in the mountains uh, with Elijah. We'll be here uh, one more week uh, after this with Elijah. But you know how there are movies uh, that you watch, and as you're watching, you, you think pretty well that you know what's going on in the movie. Uh, you get the story. Only then for one small scene at the end to, to like change the entire meaning of the, of the story, entire meaning of the movie. You know, you watch The Sixth Sense, or you watch Shutter Island, thinking one thing, I know what this is, only to get new information at the very end that literally changes the entire meaning of the movie and leaves us thinking, well, i got to go back and watch this whole thing again to rightly interpret, to rightly understand what this movie is really about. Okay. Well, our passage this morning is a lot like that because most of us have seen this movie, the one about Elijah. Most of us have heard this teaching, been taught thousands of times, and the sermons typically go something like, Elijah got scared, and so he ran. And all he could think about was himself. He was self-righteous. He ran from God. He ran from his responsibility. One scholar said, what a contrast. Elijah, the hero of Carmel, we talked about that last week, victorious over Baalism, to now Elijah, the coward of unbelief at Horeb, self-occupied, utterly discouraged, wishing to die rather than pray for God's people. What a failure. So that's the going narrative. It's like, hey, don't be like Elijah. Finish strong in life, okay? Okay. But what if I told you that if we look at the earliest manuscripts we have available, there's actually a uh, I see dead people realization that changes how we are to read this entire passage to rightfully interpret it. Uh, the Hebrew word in question is in the, it's a verse where, you know, he, where, where Jezebel said some things and Elijah was either afraid or he saw. The Hebrew word for he was afraid is extremely similar to the Hebrew word for he saw. I mean, talk about just like a stroke away from being the same word, causing translators to be split on what the original word, what, what was it exactly? How was it originally? And so some English translations like our ESV say afraid, while others, many others like the King James, the New King James, the American Standard translate it as saw. He, he saw something. And that caused him to run. So to this, the Old Testament scholar and fellow Presbyterian Ralph Davis argues most evidence we have points to the fact that the verb to see or he saw is the original rendering of the text, which as you're reading in in context makes way more sense because in our passage it's pretty obvious that Elijah wasn't afraid to die. I mean, no, he's practically begging God to die, right? He wasn't afraid of Jezebel. No, he assumed that there would be mass revival in the land after what happened last week at Mount Carmel, but that didn't happen. And upon seeing that that didn't happen, Elijah was broken. He just couldn't go on anymore. 
And so instead of giving Jezebel his life and she being judged the victor, go Baal, uh, he ran south to a place where Jezebel couldn't get the credit for his death. In other words, this isn't a story about a man who is afraid and who is running from faithfulness. No, this is a story of a faithful man who has been utterly broken. And how even there we see that God gives grace to his broken people. So if you've ever been there, if you've ever felt utterly broken, this is for you this morning. And so with that, let's dive in. 1 Kings 18, 46 through 19, 18. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. When Elijah saw this, he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and there he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he went to sleep under a broom tree. And behold, an angel came and touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And Elijah looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And Elijah ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Elijah arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights down to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And God said, go out, and I want you to stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to Elijah, I want you to go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Japheth, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. 
Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is God's holy, holy word given to us by a Father who loves us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we approach your word now and as we just walk through uh, this, this ancient event that happened so long ago, uh, Lord, may through your spirit you come and may you speak to us. Uh, Lord, may you encourage broken hearts here this morning. Uh, Lord, may you tear down the, the proud. Uh, Lord, as we walk through this, we ask that we would see you to be gracious and sweet and also that you're a God that convicts and challenges and pushes. So Lord, we ask that you would come uh, just as we have just sung, that you would speak, O oh Lord, and that you would renew our minds, and that you would really enact change in our hearts. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Hey, I want to set the tone this morning uh, with just a few quotes. First, one from Tim Keller. Keller wrote, prior to the Reformation, there was a belief in the Roman Catholic Church that if you suffered and you grieved properly, then you could earn salvation. Well, the early reformers, in an attempt to recover a more biblical approach to suffering, you could say they threw the baby out with the bathwater and they swung the opposite extreme uh, in what eventually became a new pagan-like stoicism. The German reformers created a culture in which any expression of doubts or complaints was frowned upon. Christians were taught in their churches not to weep or cry but to show God their faith through unflinching, joyful acceptance of his will. And so there's no surprise, right, that in response, Christians who sincerely struggle have had a tendency to suffer in silence. Um, maybe it's fear that we would be judged as unfaithful, as weak, but regardless, it's created a church culture of put on a mask, right? Stiff upper lip. There, there's no crying in baseball, and so we're all good. We come to church, how are you? We're good. I'm good. We're all good. Second quote, Anne Voskamp, in describing her experience of the trivialization of brokenness and mental illness she experienced in the, from the pulpit in her home church, she wrote, I was 18 years old with scars across my wrist when I'd heard a pastor tell a whole congregation that he had once, quote, lived next to the loony bin. She said, I looked at the floor when everyone laughed. They didn't know my brokenness. They didn't know my struggles. They didn't know how I had left my mom behind the locked doors of psychiatric wards more than a few times. When they laughed, I felt the blood drain away from my face. And I wanted to stand up and howl. Is it not? It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I wanted to stand up and beg when the church isn't for the suffering and broken, when the church, then the church isn't for Christ. But because Jesus, with his pure side, is always on the side of the broken. Jesus always moves into the places moved with grief. Jesus always seeks out where the suffering is, and that's where Jesus stays. Okay. Which then brings us to our final quote before we get going. One from James Aggie who wrote, the church is not a select circle of the immaculate, but a home where the outcasts may come in. 
It's not a palace with gate attendants and challenging sentinels along the entranceway holding off at arm's length the stranger, but rather a hospital where the brokenhearted may be healed and where all the weary and troubled may find rest in the gospel. All right, that's a vision. That's a vision for the church, a vision for what Westminster, we would love for it to look like. And if that's the case, if that's what the church is, then could we go there this morning? Uh, with just one point, one point sermon, God's grace to the broken. Um, notice who's broken here in our passage. You know, Elijah, Elijah wasn't one who you would say is prone to melancholy or prone to depression. Um, he had courageously faced down the prophets of, of Baal on Mount Carmel. Uh, I mean, he was the Lord's anointed prophet, the Lord's chosen one. <laughs> what could possibly break him? Well, go there with Elijah. If you remember, Elijah had one passion. Like his whole life revolved around one thing, one dream, one prayer, that the people of Israel would stop it with all their Baal worship and return to worship the true God, Yahweh. For people to repent of their idolatry and for revival to spring up across the land. That's what he longed for. And when God came down on Mount Carmel, and everyone there, if you remember from last week, everyone there said, Yahweh is God. Elijah surely thought, here it is. This is what I've always been longing for. And so excited was Elijah that, did you see in verse 46? Verse 46 says that Elijah beat Ahab to Jezreel. Okay, what's going on there? Well, if, if you remember at this time, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, right? You had the southern kingdom down, well, south, with its capital city of Jerusalem. And then you had the northern kingdom up, well, north, with its capital city of Jezreel. So what would possess Elijah to go to the capital city of the northern kingdom? Well, he was going there to take a victory lap, if you think about it. Now, they just won the Super Bowl on Mount Carmel, and Elijah, he's going to Disney World. Uh, like, like with, with what just happened, surely revival is rising up on the streets and people are talking about Yahweh, and they're worshiping, and they're praising him, and he wanted to be a part of that. But when he got there, what did he find? He got there, and there, there was no revival. No, no crying out to Yahweh. If anything, Jezebel said, we're going to worship Baal even harder. And as we find, Elijah, you know, if we read it this way, he's not filled with self-pity. It's not poor, poor, pitiful Elijah. No, he's broken. Because he was jealous for the Lord, for, for the people to worship Yahweh. And, and when they didn't turn, even after such a grand gesture as, as what happened on Mount Carmel, he was crushed. Then to top it all off, when he got to Jezreel, he found that he's a marked man. You walk into a city and there's one at posters up with his face on it. The queen herself said, mark my words, by this time tomorrow, Elijah, you will be a dead man. And if that so disoriented was, was Elijah in crisis. Have you ever been there? It's like, like we just read that the hand of the Lord was on, Lord, I thought the hand, your hand was on me. <laughs> I don't even know how to process this. Like all signs are pointing towards, things are on the up and up, and I get here, and it is just devastation. And he didn't know what to do, but he couldn't be around Jezebel anymore, right? So he ran to the southern kingdom. 
And he stopped and he notes that he dismissed his servant at one stop and then he kept going. But scholars say the equivalent of a prophet dismissing his servant is the equivalent of saying, I quit. I'm not, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not in the ministry anymore. I can't do it. And so then he kept, he kept on his journey until finally he got under a broom tree and there he said, God, take my life. Have you ever been there? Uh, to the point where like, I, I just can't go on anymore. He was done. Now look, he wasn't going to kill himself, but nothing would have made him happier than for God just to do it for him. He was exhausted, adrenaline shot, in a sea of idolatry, he'd felt alone, right? He'd felt alone in worshiping Yahweh. Have you ever been jealous for the Lord? So jealous that like you, you, are, you look at the way that our culture worships idols and all these various things, and it breaks your heart. He'd had opposition, and then, of course, most recently, he had the trauma of, oh, by the way, the queen wants to kill you, and everybody's trying to kill you. And at some point, it just caught up with him, and he broke. And look, I'm not saying that we are Elijah, but all true believers know something of this, don't we? Like, we all know what it is to be opposed, to have tribulation. We all know what it is to feel alone. Like, we all live in a fallen world in which life is hard. In this fallen world, Christians can get depressed. You know, people used to think that Christians couldn't get depressed. And when pastors who had depression, they would, like, discipline them. And they wouldn't even let them be pastors anymore. We see that Christians can get depressed. Christians can even be suicidal. Not just the weak ones, but strong ones like Elijah. And that may be doubly true even for, for ministry leaders as Elijah was. You know, in recent years, there's, there's been an epidemic not only of pastoral burnout. Studies show 91% of pastors experience burnout. Almost 40% of pastors seriously considered leaving the ministry last year alone. But not only burnout, but there's also an epidemic of pastoral suicides. Um, why? Because, as we see even here with Elijah, ministry is really hard. And, and friends, some of my friends in the ministry note that you, you, know, you meet with, you pray with, you walk with people through hardship, um, often missing family events. And God comes through and answers prayer. But even after all that, sometimes... That family still leaves the church hurling insults at guess who? You know, Satan opposes ministry. You know, you got to deal with sin. You got to deal with your own sin. Uh, and add to that the brokenness of this fallen world. And we can relate to Elijah. Dan Allender says he hardly counsels a minister who isn't suffering from post traumatic stress. And look, you, I know, look, I'm, I guess I'm preaching to me, but, but, and Josh, like you may not be in vocational ministry. But every single Christian ministers the gospel, right? Every single Christian is prone to suffer trauma because of, because of sin. But as hard as that is, there's also something beautiful that happens to those who are broken in God. Because if you are in the Lord, you find that even at the end of your rope, under a tree wishing that you would just die, there at the end of yourself, you find grace. Notice what happened. God first sent an angel. There's discussion if the angel of the Lord is a, uh, a theophany or a pre-incarnate visit with Jesus. Regardless, we'll just call it you know, an angel. 
Uh, God first sent an angel to Elijah. And notice what the angel, how the angel started. You know, Elijah's kind of on the run, but the, the, the angel didn't start by saying, repent. Didn't start, start by saying, stop being so afraid. Didn't say, stop being such a baby, Elijah. Now, the, now Elijah would need some correction, and he's going to get that later with the Lord on the mountain. But that's not what he needed first. God sent an angel to minister to him, to touch him, maybe even give him a hug, to provide food and drink, and just let Elijah rest. You know, Scott read this morning, a bruised reed God will not break. You know, we see here, we remind her that we're not just souls, but we are body and soul. And so sometimes, you know, food, good thing. Rest, great thing, right? Here God begins dispensing his grace through simple things like food, sleep. You know, this passage hits very close to home for me. A few of y'all know this, but I definitely haven't shared it from the pulpit, honestly, for fear that it might cause some of y'all to um, start a petition to remove me as your pastor. Uh, but I'm going to share some just in case that some of you ever get to the point uh, to where I was, where I've been. Um, four years ago, I was done. Um, I think every single week, it was like, if I can just get through, if I can get to Sunday, I can survive another week. I was done. I was burned out. Then the diagnosis, you know, my body was weak. And, and then, on top of that, I went through a major, major dark night, you could call it dark years, of, of the soul. You know, crisis of faith, midlife crisis. And, and not in the, you know, I used to joke about that, not in like the ha-ha, try not to buy a convertible type of midlife crisis, but like my entire world... <laughs> And everything I thought and believed and held true is like, it's peeling. And I'm just going to tell you, the only reason I'm on the other side is because of God's gracious provision of grace settling in the low places. And God didn't send an angel to me to give me food and to let me rest, but he did send Lewis Buford and, um, and Johnny Smith with a golf club and theological conversations. Um, God sent Amy and Joseph and a gig at the Alluvian. He sent my wife and countless waltz around the neighborhood talking about faith and hope and ministry. Uh, he sent Dr. Noss, right, to check in on me, my mental health, my physical health. He sent Trey and Elizabeth. Uh, he sent another one of our elders to tell me, oh, I'm not alone. You're not alone. He sent our missionary Brian Stock to, right here in the office before we even came in here to say, me too, brother. Uh, he sent Josh to be a partner in ministry. I think I've shared some of this. He sent an older pastor to take a car ride with me. And really just, he's in there just to hear me out. And after airing all of my issues, all of my problems, I thought for sure he'd say, you probably need to take a step away for a while. Yet all that pastor said was, praise God. It sounds like you are right on track to be used of God. Oh, that more people experience true brokenness. You know, to be there with it, to, to hear that, that verse where Paul said, a thorn was given me in the flesh to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 
But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. To be to that point, to where like all you have, all you have is God's grace. I tell you, it hasn't been fun, but in the Lord it has been and is good, you know. You know, there's a reason why the author of Hebrews tells us not to forsake the gathering. You know, not to forsake or to prioritize gathering with other believers to worship above all else. Um, It's not because God hates that you sleep in. It's not because God wants to wreck your personal weekend plans. No, it's because not only is hearing the word and, and prayer a means of God's grace to sustain you in this fallen world, but so is communion of the saints. There's something very powerful that happens when brothers and sisters get together, and oh, by the way, they remind each other of the gospel. God dispenses his grace to us through others. And Stevie Pillow's cooking, Christina Reagan's baking, Kat Fandel's cookies. You know, it's, grace is dispensed through all sorts of ways. Okay, Well, having met his physical needs, which is important, notice God then gave Elijah his gracious presence. Um, Did you notice, you know, it wasn't Elijah. People say that, well, Elijah just kept running from God. But this wasn't Elijah who kept running, but it was the angel. And it's God himself who is inviting him to go. The angel gave him that food because, look, you're going. We're sending you in in a direction. It was God who invited him there. You, you know, there's another name for Mount Horeb. It's, it's Mount Sinai, right, or the mountain of God. And if you remember from Exodus 33, that was the same place Moses said. Remember, Moses kind of got to a breaking point. where it's like, God, if you're not with us, we can't, get, we can't do this without you. And it was there that, that Moses cried out. like, we need your presence. We, we need you. And remember, God put, a, put Moses in the cleft of the rock, or some geologists might even classify it as a cave. And from that cave, Moses experienced the glorious presence of God. And it was, albeit from the back side, and it was God's presence there, his glorious presence that sustained Moses. Well, in the same way, Elijah went to the mountain because he needed God's presence And not coincidentally, he too was put in a cave for protection, right? And there was a great wind and an earthquake and then fire, all all signs of God's judgment. But Elijah was safe, right? He was sheltered there. All that stuff hit the mountain. It didn't hit him. But God wasn't in any of those. And then it's that verse, it's that still small voice came at a whisper. God was there. And Elijah knew, and so he covered his face, and he came out of the cave to see, experience the presence. Ray Cortez tells a story about a friend of his uh, who was a pastor, very stable pastor, who during one point in his ministry went through what he called seven years of darkness, seven years of fear and doubt, and it got so bad that he told his wife, look, I just, I just know if people knew how bad off I was or I, how bad off I am, they would come get me. They would put me in a padded cell somewhere and never let me out. I am going to be alone. I'm going to be alone. And his wife hugged him, put her hands around his face and said, well, if that happens and you get taken away and put in a padded cell, 
then I'm moving into the padded cell with you. I will always be with you. You will not be alone. And the pastor said, after seven years, it was the words of his wife that God used to lift the darkness. You know, if, if you know that you have God's presence, if you know that you are not alone, you will never be alone. You can handle anything, right? You can handle cancer. You can handle hardship. You can handle brokenness. You're going to be okay. And so in God's presence, Elijah now, now that he's there, Elijah was corrected. And Elijah could take it in God's presence. Elijah hadn't been seeing things right, like we can sometimes see things wrongly. Um, he saw that the spiritual life of Israel wasn't on his shoulders after all. Nor was he the only one. But he saw that God was sovereignly in control, still working, even when Elijah couldn't see it. And that revelation healed and sustained that broken man. So it's God's mercy to us through others or through him. It's God's presence to the lonely. Don't you want that? Well, what if I told you you can have it? In fact, what we see here with Elijah is the very message of the gospel. It's Emmanuel, right, that God came to be with you. You know, on the mountain, God sent a hurricane, he sent an earthquake, he sent fire, but, but none of those things hit Elijah because Elijah was protected in the rock, right? He was in the cave. Well, Westminster, 2,000 years ago, God the Father didn't send an angel. He sent his son, right, who we call the rock of ages. And on the cross, Jesus took, as our rock, Jesus took the wind, and Jesus took the quake, and Jesus took the fire, the very wrath of God we deserve, so that if we are in him, hidden in him, we can say that we too have received mercy, and we too have received grace, and because of Christ, we can know that we are never alone. We have the peace of God's presence. It, it, look, it, I know it may not sound like much, but that is how God's people have been sustained throughout the ages. Like That is God's very real sustaining grace to the broken. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the simple reminder uh, that even when we are at the very, very end of our rope, we do we just want to die. Even there, in the lowest place, grace is found. So Lord, for those of us uh, who are there or who may be there or who have been there, uh, Lord, remind us. Lord, give us eyes to see your grace and to receive it. Um, Lord, may we respond to the gospel call. Uh, Lord, fill us, fill us with Christ. Remind us of your presence. And Lord, now as we come to your table, we ask that you would take these common everyday elements, that you would set them aside to be a, a means of your grace to your people. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message 
to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.